Awesome. Well, if you've got your Bibles there, I'll get you to open up to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. And we're going to be reading from verse 23. We're going to be reading from verse 23 just to kind of get us started here. And what we're going to be looking at is, is, is Jesus and his kingdom. Jesus and his kingdom. And, and you know, we, we've only got one morning here, so we're not going to be able to cover everything about Jesus' kingdom. But well, we're going we're we're to start. We're, we're going we're gonna to dip our toe in something of what it means for Jesus' kingdom to have come, the kingdom of heaven to have come. And so here's, here we have in Matthew chapter 4, it says this about Jesus. Matthew says, Now Jesus began to go all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Then the news about him spread throughout Syria. So they brought him to him all those who were afflicted, those suffering from various diseases and intense pains. The demon possessed the epileptics and the paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. And so it's interesting. It's interesting the way that Matthew has actually set up this whole idea of the good news of the kingdom here at the very start. You see, in a lot of places, in, in fact, you know, the churches I, I, the church I got saved in and, and, and churches I've been part of, all, just, all these sorts of things, when we talk about the good news of the kingdom, when we talk about the good news of the gospel, um, what we're often told is, well, God has prepared this plan of salvation for us so that you can go to heaven one day when you die. Have you heard this? Yeah, you're <laughs> all Christians. I hope you've heard that. <laughs> I hope you've heard this good news <laughs> that, that Jesus uh, Jesus has come to actually save us. And, and so normally, normally the way this is kind of pitched is that you've got a problem, that problem is sin, but Jesus has provided a way uh, for you to be saved from said sin. And so if you believe and trust in him, he will take your sin, he will forgive you, he will wash you clean, he'll set you up so that one day when you die, you will go to heaven. Amen? Now that's true, but that's not exactly how... The Gospels actually set up what's happening with this whole Gospel of the Kingdom, this whole good news of the Kingdom. You see, when, when the Gospels present this good news of the Kingdom, it presents the, the Kingdom as something that is coming into our midst. And that this Kingdom that is coming into our midst is somehow good news for you and I and for the whole earth. Does, does, does that dis, do you hear the distinction in that? Does that, does that difference... Is that, is that a little bit different? Is there a distinction there from, from what you can hear? It's not necessarily about something that happens to you when you die, but it's about something that has come into the earth, into the here and now, and is affecting change and bringing about change even here and now. So for order for us to understand this good news of the kingdom that, that Matthew is speaking about here, for us to kind of step into maybe their mindset, into, into their shoes, in order to hear what they were hearing, you've got to understand you got to understand the the story which the story which we're actually being brought into here. You see, this is not just any people who this is written to. This is not just any people that Jesus has come to. It's it's not just he's rocked up out of nowhere with no context and no understanding and just starts talking about this kingdom. No, the, these are people who have been prepared. These people have, these are people who have a great weight of expectation that one day something would happen where God would step in and make all things right again. 
You see, God's people have always lived with this sense that there is something wrong with the world. There's something wrong with the world and the way that it is. There's something wrong with humanity. And in, in, in our story, in our tradition, it goes all the way back to the very start of the book, Genesis chapter 3. We hear about this serpent in the garden who, who deceives Eve and, and, and Adam into, into partaking of the fruit, leading into sin, and, and then the, just the, the horrible toll of death and destruction. But, but there's this promise that's given in Genesis chapter 3 when, when God discovers their sin and, and, and He sees them in their sin and their nakedness. And He says to Eve, He makes this promise to Eve that one day, one day, one will come from her seed, one of her offspring will come, who will crush the head of that serpent, who will crush the head of sin, who will crush the head of this darkness that has come into the world. And the scriptures in the Old Testament repeat this theme, so there's this great weight of expectation. I'm going to read some of these passages here, just so that you can get a glimpse. I'm going to read four passages, just so you can get a glimpse of what expectation they had for this kingdom that was coming. So here we have Isaiah 9, uh, starting at verse 1. He says, Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land of the east of Jordan, and to, the, and to Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those who live on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing the spoils. For you have shattered the oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. The, the, the people of God had this expectation. You see, understand, they had been under the oppressive rule of the Romans here for quite some time at this point. And many of them had this expectation that when the Messiah comes, when the Messiah comes, he's going to liberate us from these filthy Romans. He's going to break this yoke that they've put on us. He's going to free us from these Romans who have enslaved us and who, have, who, who are now ruling over us. And he's going to liberate us and he's going to bring this light to us who are presently living in darkness. Isaiah 40 Isaiah 40 will also have a, a messianic um, prediction. He says, comfort, comfort my people, starting at verse 1, sorry, uh, Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Announce to her that her time of forced labor is over. Her iniquity has been pardoned. She has, been, she has received from the Lord, Lord's hand double for all her sins. This, this idea that, that this time of living in exile no longer being free to live in the promised land as, as they desired to live, no longer free to live uh, the way that they believed that God had desired for them to live, that that would come to an end and God would liberate His people. Now, it's interesting, if, if you actually follow on, Matthew will actually pick up this, the, the following verse. He says, A voice crying out, uh, a voice of one crying out, Prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make a straight highway for our God in the desert. Every valley will be lifted up and every mountain and hill will be leveled. The uneven ground will become smooth and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord will appear and all humanity together will see for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This great expectation that one day, one day, there would come one and, 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 and the valleys would be lifted up, the mountains would be, the, the, his pathway would be made smooth and straight and the Lord of glory would come. He would come for his people. He would come for his people. 
Isaiah 42 says this, starting at verse 1. He says, this is my servant. This is God speaking of his servant. This is my servant. I strengthen him. This is my chosen one. I delight in him. I have put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not cry out or shout or make his voice heard in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed, and he will not put out a smoldering wick. He will faithfully bring justice. He will not grow weak or discouraged until he has established justice on the earth. The coasts and the islands will wait for his instruction. That day, that day, that day when God will come and He will set all things right, there will be justice in the earth. There will be justice in the earth and He will not grow weak and He will not grow weary in bringing about this justice. He will faithfully establish this justice for all people who have ever been enslaved or for all people who have ever felt downtrodden, for all people who have ever been broken underneath the foot of the world system. God will one day come and bring this justice. In Isaiah 60, starting at verse 1, he says, The Spirit of the Lord God is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our God's vengeance, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, festive oil instead of mourning, and splendid clothes instead of despair. And they will be called righteous trees planted by the Lord to, the, to glorify Him. So this is just a small selection. This is a small selection of, of ideas, of promises, of hope, that God's people had been holding on to for generation after generation after generation, that one day, one day, this Messiah, this Savior would come. And when He came, He would bring this justice. He would make all things right. He would bind up the brokenhearted. He would set the captives free. And so when Matthew introduces us here, he says, now Jesus began to go over all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom. What he means is that Jesus is going around saying, this kingdom... This kingdom, this Messiah, this one which you have waited for, this moment of expectation that you have held for generations has now come. God is going to be setting all things right. He's going to be making all things new. He's going to be preaching liberty to the captives. He's going to be binding up the brokenhearted. And that is truly good news. Amen? It's good news. Think about our world today. Think of the brokenness that exists. God in His promise, He's decided that He is not going to simply abandon the world, but He is going to make it brand new. He is going to heal it. He is going to restore it. He is going to save it. He's going to save this world. He is going to save His people from here. And so this kingdom preaching, there is this great weight of expectation. This great weight of expectation. And Jesus comes and he announces that this moment has now come. This moment of expectation has now come. And what's even more amazing about this moment 
is that in his announcement of this moment has now come. He invites others into this kingdom project as well. He invites others into this kingdom. This is not, this is not Jesus just simply going, I'm going to do this, get out of my way. What he does is he comes and he's, decided, he's like, I am bringing this kingdom and I am bringing it into the earth. And I want you to come and join. I want you to come and be a part of what it is I'm doing. See what he says here um, in Matthew 5, verse 13. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and be trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So Jesus has come. And he's announced this good news. And what he's going around teaching these people in their synagogues and everywhere that people are listening and and hearing his teaching is he's teaching is that you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And as you join me in my mission to save the earth, as you join in my mission to liberate the captives, you are going to be the light of the world. You are going to show people the goodness of my kingdom. You're going to show people the goodness of my ways. My kingdom is going to come and it's going to be established here in this world. And so that, that's really good news for us. Now, what happens then is he then goes on to begin teaching further in the Sermon on the Mount. And, and what's really good news is that God has decided that he's done with evil in his, in his good world and that he's going to get rid of it. That's really good news. That's where most people are like, yes, I don't want evil in the world anymore. Most people are like that. But there's a problem with that. There's a problem with that. You see, the problem is us. The problem is us. You see, we even see this with the disciples. They, they struggle with this concept. You see, it's all well and good for them to go, yes, Jesus, kingdom, come. Come and establish your reign on the earth and go get rid of those filthy Romans. Get them, Jesus. Isn't that what we see in the Garden of Gethsemane? You know, Peter's got his sword, you know, and this whole time he's been walking around with Jesus just going, all right, Jesus, when this thing kicks off, I am ready I am ready. And they come to seize him. He's like, well, what better time than now? Bam! Cuts the guy's ear off. And Jesus is like, oh. <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me just patch that back up there. <laughs> I don't know. In my head, it's like, I have this image of like Jesus with like, like, you know, like clay or Play-Doh or something. Just going, here, here you go, bud. <laughs> it's just like, let me, let me heal that up for you. <laughs> But Jesus in his teaching, Jesus in his teaching said, this kingdom is coming and I am getting rid of evil in the earth. I am making all things new. I am bringing justice. And I'm starting not with them, but I'm starting with you. And I can just imagine the disciples 
The people hearing this message going, yes, the kingdom's come. The Messiah's come. He's going to overthrow the Romans. We're going we're to finally be free. And then Jesus turning around and going, okay, so we're going to get rid of evil. Yeah, we're going to get rid of evil. We're going to get rid of all, all wickedness in the earth. Yeah, Jesus, we're going to get rid of all the wickedness in the earth. All right. Let's begin to examine some things here. Let's start with you. Sorry, what? Start with who? We're going to start with you. Start with me. There's nothing really wrong with me. After all, I, don't, I haven't murdered anybody. Have you seen the death count of the Romans do? You walk in and out of the city, there's people hanging on crosses. I haven't murdered anybody. Why are you starting with me? Start with the big stuff, Jesus. But that's just not how God does things. It's not how he's been contented to do things. And so what we're going to learn here about this good news of the kingdom that is coming has come and is coming into the earth even in this moment is that Jesus is establishing his lordship. He is establishing his reign and rule over the earth and he's beginning in here. He's beginning in us. Jesus cares about those big picture things, but his, method, his methodology, the way he's going to deal with those big picture things is to deal with the little things first. Yes, he wants the outside of the cup to be clean, but he cares more about the inside of the cup being clean. Does that make sense? And so <clears throat> we come here um, to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read from verse 21. He says, You've heard it that it is said to our ancestors, Do not murder. And whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, whoever is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. And whoever says, You fool, will be subject to hellfire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that a brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, Go and be reconciled with your brother and sister, then come and offer your gift. <clears throat> what I see happening here and what Jesus is teaching, what he's doing here, is he's, he's, he's going after really the, the root and the heart of sin in this teaching. Is, there's, there's, I believe, six teachings here in, in the Sermon on the Mount that follow a very similar pattern. You've heard it said this, I tell you this. And in each one, each one he takes something that is taught in the law and he magnifies its implications. He magnifies and he deepens the implications. In fact, makes it seemingly so much harder to follow than, than, than before. But what I think he's getting at here, what he's getting at here is, is really the root. He's getting at, he's getting at the, the heart of the issue that is in your heart. An analogy is this. I have a lawn. And, um, and as Alan knows, because sometimes we, <laughs> we pay Alan to come around and, and take care of my lawn, my lawn is not very well taken care of. Well, when Alan comes, it is. Generally, by me, it's not. Um, <clears throat> but we have a very old lawn. And those of you who have ever had an old lawn will know that over the years, weeds get into the lawn right? We got all sorts of weeds in, in, in our grass. And, um, and there's, there's a couple things you can do. One is you can just keep mowing it. So, you know, like I said, it just keeps them trim, 
keeps them in line with the rest of the grass. Right? This is what this is what the law did for the Jewish people. Paul will talk about in Galatians that the law was a guardian, a guardian for the people. Uh, in, in the same way as a, uh, a schoolmaster or a guardian would watch over the people to tr- kind, you know, keep things in line till such a time as God would come and liberate His people from sin, right? And so, so in, back to this analogy, there's the way you can deal with the weeds is 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 you can just keep it mowed, right? So that the fruit of the fruit of the weed, you know, the seeds and the dandelions going everywhere and all sorts of stuff that that doesn't happen because you keep it mowed, but you haven't really dealt with the weeds, have you? No, the weed is still there. So what needs to happen is you need to get down on your hands and knees and you actually need to go and you need to dig out the root of the weed in order to properly deal with the weed itself. And so it seems that when God says he's bringing his kingdom and he's bringing and establishing his justice in the earth, this is good news for everybody, but the thing is, is he's got to deal with these weeds, He's got to deal with these sin issues in his people. He's got to deal with these sin issues in all of humanity. And this is what I believe he's teaching here. He says, so you've heard it said, do not murder. That's the fruit. That's the fruit. Most people, I imagine, who are sitting there in this audience are like, yeah, okay, cool. Don't murder. We're on board with that already. Haven't done it. Don't plan to do it. You know, I'm, I'm right there with you. He says, but I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Now, all of a sudden, we're like, okay, well, that's a a bit different. Now, is being angry with somebody the same thing as murdering them? Don't give me the Jesus answer. (laughs) Most of you you have, have... given frustrated gestures on the highway when somebody cuts you off or, or, or doesn't drive as well as you do, all right? I'm, I'm not judging you. I'm giving general examples. <laughs> I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm just saying, I know some people, <laughs> and some people sometimes do some things. <clears throat> now, we would recognize that, okay, like, being angry at someone, or, or, or here the language is actually like a brooding anger. So not even like a flared up anger, but like a brooding anger. You ever been just angry at somebody for like a long time? Every time you think about them, just... Yeah. Jesus is, Jesus is not trying to say, well, that's the exact same thing as murder. The, the effect of that is the same as murdering somebody. But he is saying that that is the root. Where do you think murder comes from? That's where murder comes from. And if, and if this good world that God has created, that has been corrupted by sin, is to ever be healed, is ever to be restored, the root has to be removed. It has to go. It has to be lifted out. He says, you know, if anybody, if anybody um, is angry, uh, they'll be subject to Anyone who insults his brother and sister will be subject to the court. So there's even higher levels of judgment here. And, and, and anybody who says, you fool, will be subject to hellfire. Now, I think it's really important. I really think it's really important we understand exactly what he's saying there. When he says, you fool, like this, is, this, this packs a lot more punch in the original language and context than it does for us. Right? You know, like when you say, you fool, you, know, you probably think Gandalf, you know, like, fly, you fools. You're like, Gandalf, you're going to go to hell because you called them fools. No? Lord of the Rings? Nobody? Okay. <clears throat> 
No, what, what, this, what, this phrase, what this phrase meant, what you were saying when you called somebody a fool in this time and in this context, was you were saying, you are devoid of morality. You are incapable of good thinking, right thinking, serving the... You, you, it is a dehumanizing thing. You're not even in God's image anymore, essentially, because you are a fool. You are everything the book of Proverbs says a fool is. You're that wicked. You're that evil. It is a writing off of that person. And Jesus says, you call someone a fool, and you will be subject to hellfire. So if you have this brooding anger with someone, it's a problem that needs to be dealt with. It's subject to judgment. You insult somebody, tearing them down, either to that person's face or behind their back, that's even worse. That root of sin is beginning to bloom. You say, you fool, it's going to be subject to the fires of Gehenna, the fires of hell. And I think what God is saying here is He wants to take all of it. He wants to rip it up by the roots. And he wants it all burnt up, and he wants it all to be thrown out of your life. He wants it all gone from your heart. He wants it all gone away. And he will burn it away if he has to. He will burn it away if he has to. You see, Gehenna was a place of judgment in the Old Testament. The Valley of Hinnon, it, it, was, it was associated with sacrificing babies to Moloch. It was understood to be a place, it's an imagery of a place of judgment where all that is wicked, all that is worthless, all that is perishing will be cast and will be destroyed. And what Jesus is saying is what this is, what this, the root of this is, this is going away. In my kingdom, this will not stand. In my kingdom, I will not tolerate this root anymore. And so it has to go. It has to go. So as we undergo this process, as we undergo this process of having our hearts transformed, of taking Jesus' teaching to heart, He wants us to be changed by it. In fact, in fact, Jesus will say at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, anybody who takes these words that I've said in and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. This is a foundation this is foundational teaching for your life to be assured. And He doesn't just want you to deal with your own issues as well. He doesn't want you just to just deal with the anger that's in your own heart. If you've got anger issues, then you, you really need to deal with them. You really need to deal with them. Jesus wants you to deal with them because He loves you enough to deal with them. Do you believe that? But what's interesting is as well, is, is that Jesus is constantly inviting us to not only be receivers of grace, be receivers of transformation, but to also be agents of grace and agents of transformation as well. You see, because he says, after this teaching, he says, you know, so don't murder. If there's anger there, if, you, if you're insulting people, if you've called them a fool, understand that's going to go. All of that is getting judged. It's going to get burnt up. It's going to be removed. All right? But also, here's the deal. If you're offering your gift on the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, 
Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother and sister and then come and offer your gift. You see, Jesus is is concerned about your heart. He's also concerned about the hearts of other people. And so as as you're being transformed, as you're being changed, as you're taking Jesus' teaching to heart, asking Holy Spirit to help convict you of sin and righteousness and train your heart to live holy and righteous, what he's then going to do is he's going to be, hey, look, also, you know how you were angry at that person, right? Because they did such and such, right? And you had to deal with your anger. Well, what I want you to do is if you know that you've done something or you're aware that a brother or sister has got something against you, I want you to go and help them by making it right. Now, what's interesting, what's interesting here is there's some disagreement in the texts about uh, a little clause there. Um, you know, here it says in the CSB, um, it says, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, that seems like a pretty blanket statement. Other, other manuscripts and that sort of stuff, they'll have an insertion there which just says anything legitimate against you, go and make it right. Now, <laughs> oh, that's better. <laughs> I tell you about it. I tell you about it because I want you to act wisely on this, okay? I tell you about it because I want you to act wisely. I think that's probably a fair interpretation of what Jesus is getting at. I think it's probably a fair interpretation. If you know that you've done wrong to somebody, whether inadvertently or, or advertently, um, you've done it on purpose. I'm just inventing words. That's, what, that's all language is. Just stuff made up to communicate other stuff, all right? But if you've done something, and you know, and you know this, this, this person has got something against you because of what you did, you should go and try and make it right. You should go and try and be reconciled to that person. Especially if it's legitimate. But it's not here in the oldest of texts. It just says, if you know that somebody's got something against you, go and try and make it right. I want to stick with that original, I want to stick with that reading. If you know somebody's got something against you, go and try and be reconciled to them. Even if it's not your fault. And there's a reason why I take that reading. Because isn't that what Jesus has done with us? Is that not what Jesus has done with us? You know, oftentimes when, when we read through these passages of Scripture, or, or we preach through these passages of Scripture, oftentimes the, these passages are used to really amplify the weight of the law, <clears throat> to make you have a more full appreciation of the sense of your sin. And I think that's appropriate. I think that's appropriate in some ways. That, that, that really, until we really know, we don't know. You know, I, I, use this, I use this story as an analogy. That sometimes we just operate out of ignorance while we're, doing, while we're sinning, right? I remember when I like, first got saved, I've been a Christian for maybe like six months at this point. And I'm sure you, some of you heard this story before. But I've been a Christian for like six months at this point. You know, I just left high school. Uh, I was working a job that didn't pay much. 
Um, and, you know, I didn't have a lot of money. So sometimes I would come up short, you know, for the week on, on money. And so in order to get to and from work, I still had to catch a train. And so when I didn't have money, I would just hop on the train without a ticket. And I remember one time being in a Bible study. And, and everyone's going around giving testimonies. And I'm just sitting there going, God has been so good to me this week. He has kept the ticket inspectors away. And he has just protected me. The Lord has been my shield. You know, just giving, giving real testimony to the goodness of the Lord. And then somebody had to pull me aside afterwards and go, Pat, you know, you've been stealing. <laughs> and I was like, huh. You're right. <laughs> I, just, I just had never thought about it that way. <laughs> I just, you know, you know, this is me getting one back from the big bad government. No, like, but I, I, until I was aware of it, what was, like, until I was aware of it, where was that conviction going to come from? Right? And so, yeah, we read these passages of Scripture where Jesus is really teaching us, really teaching us how God sees things. He doesn't just look at the outside. He doesn't just look, have you murdered? Have you stolen? What he looks at is, where does that start in your heart? The one who's able to perceive perfectly all things, to see into the depths of who you are, your motivations and your intentions. What's going on there? And as he brings those out, you should be sitting there going, man, that's, that's a lot of sin. That's a lot of things in my life. That's a lot of intentions of my heart, which are not pure, and a lot of motives that are mixed. And what can often happen here is you read this and you go, oh, God, you know, I thought I was, like, I know I'm not going around murdering people, but this is too hard. This is too, I'm supposed to not be angry. People cut me off in traffic. I can't be angry. You know, somebody does something to me. I can't be angry with them. It's too hard, Jesus. It's too hard. I can't do it. I can't live up to it. I can't enter your kingdom. I give up. And all of a sudden, you've fallen under the weight of condemnation because you can't, you look at, the, you look at this and you go, it's just, it's just too much. And I recognize that, that whenever we preach passages like this or we read passages like this, the enemy is always there waiting to heap condemnation and to heap shame on us. But I want you to remember who it is that's preaching this. Not me, by the way. When I say preaching this, I mean the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus. This is Jesus who's preaching these words. And you know, <clears throat> sometimes you can hear a message from somebody, and you can hear the same message from somebody else, and it hits very differently. Have you experienced this? So, a Pharisee probably could have preached that message. A Pharisee probably could have come up and said, you know, I want you to know that God is very unhappy with you, because when he says in his law, thou shalt not murder, his intention is that you wouldn't even become angry with a brother. And I want you to know, all, all of you, how wicked you have been. And God's hand is waiting, He's handing, hanging over your head, 
waiting to smack you because of your sin. And this is how religious people treat each other. It's always some other rule that you violated. There's always something you've done wrong. There's always some standard you're not living up to. And you see, it's easy to fall into that trap because it's kind of true. Is it not? We all fall short of the glory of God. We all sin. And that's not a small thing. But I want you to remember the person that's speaking these words here. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. And I want you to turn over to John 3.16. He says, For God so loved the world. Oh, I'm reading it. That's not what it says in my Bible. I'm just, I've got another translation memorized. <laughs> For God loved the world. <laughs> For God loved the world in this way. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. And anyone who believes in Him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it, so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light, so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. What does that mean? <clears throat> what it means is this, is that oftentimes we so emphasize our offense to God because of our sin, which is real, that we forget how God has come into this world, what disposition He has towards humanity when He came. He did not come into the world to condemn the world. The world was already condemned. The world was already trapped in sin, living under darkness, enslaved to the kingdom of darkness, Satan, the principalities and powers of the air, already living in, a, in, in an environment of, of hell being produced by our sin, not only as we are sinned against, but then we turn around and sin to other people. We were already condemned, but God, when He stepped into the world, He stepped into the world as one who was coming to bring healing, to, one who was coming to bring reconciliation, one who was coming to bring hope, the one who was coming to bring genuine good news. Genuine good news that you, you can receive forgiveness for sins. You can receive the forgiveness. Are you, are you, are you, are you burdened by the state of your heart? Understand, God has seen it all. He sees it all, and yet He comes and He says, I forgive you. Come. Just, just come to the light. Come. I want you to come. He sees the wickedness, the, the roots of sin deep down in your heart, those things that, that you want to keep hidden, those things that you're ashamed of. He sees it all, and He says, look, come. I, I, I want to I take that from you. I want to remove it from you. I want to heal you of that sin. I want to restore you. I, I want to break that bondage. I want to break that yoke of slavery to sin that you've been living under for so long. You've got to understand, when Jesus exposes sin, He doesn't expose sin to simply condemn it and just cast people into hell. He brings about 
a recognition of sin and exposing of sin so that we can see it and we go, oh God, I need healing. Oh God, I need hope. I need restoration. I need salvation. And Jesus is there ready and waiting going, yes, I know. That's why I came. My kingdom has come. This is genuinely good news. It's genuinely good news. Sometimes it doesn't always feel like good news when God is exposing things in your heart. It's an uncomfortable process. Those of you who have gone through periods of deep conviction over sin will know what that feels like. But it's good. It's good because he's producing goodness in you. And I want you to feel like the gospel is good this morning. I want you to feel and know and understand that his kingdom is good. And he invites you to become a part of it. He invites you to become a part of it. To not just be a receiver of grace, but be somebody who participates and gives grace to others. Introduces others to Jesus. It freely gives what has been freely given to us. Amen? I'd love for you to stand. I'll invite the, the worship team back.